Welcome to the One Fish Foundation Fish Tales Podcast. I'm Carlos Stoll, president of One Fish Foundation, a sustainable seafood education nonprofit based in Maine. We'll hear stories from fish harvesters, fishmongers, chefs, scientists, educators, advocates, and others in the seafood supply chain about their connection to the resource and how they address some of the challenges facing responsibly harvested seafood. Our first series of conversations comes from Bristol Bay, Alaska, where I spent two weeks this summer learning to pick sockeye out of a commercial set net. I also fly fished for rainbows, arctic char, and sockeye while avoiding big brown bears. I interviewed a broad range of personalities with disparate backgrounds, all of whom share a strong connection to the bay and a staunch opposition to the proposed pebble mine at the headwaters of the world's largest wild salmon run. Speaking with those involved in commercial, recreational, and subsistence fishing, along with those finding the mine at an agency level, had a profound effect on me. It reinforced my mission to share their stories with those in and outside of Alaska. The first podcast is with Gayla Hassett, a native Alaskan and mother of two living a subsistence lifestyle in Dillingham. She's Director of Natural Resources with Bristol Bay Native Association and works on issues to sustain food security and the subsistence way of life for indigenous residents in Bristol Bay. Growing up in Anchorage and spending summers with her grandparents in Bristol Bay during the salmon harvest instilled in her a sense of reverence for how the natural resource supports those who manage it properly. As second chief of the Chukyung Tribal Council, she's been one of the most outspoken opponents of the mine. Here she describes growing up with the cultural traditions that bind her and her people to Bristol Bay, and why indigenous tribes are so committed to fighting this uphill battle. This interview took place in her office in Dillingham on July 3rd. I asked her what life was like during those summers in Dillingham with her grandparents. I was blessed to have spent every summer of my life here in, in Dillingham in Bristol Bay and Clarks Point. So every every summer I've spent my summers here in Dillingham or Clarks. So my parents got divorced when I was a young girl. And so I grew up in Anchorage and then I would come here and I spend my entire summers here in the Bristol Bay region. And during my summertime months, I would be um, with my grandmother. I have seven other siblings from my father and um, my, my mother's only child. So I guess I kind of have the, the best of both worlds. I'm an only child and then I'm the eldest child of eight. So that's where I get my um, posse skills from, I guess. And you know, like <laughs> Why don't we call it guidance skills? <laughs> Right. Guidance skills, yeah. But every year when I would be going to school in Anchorage as a little girl, I'd always looked forward to... I mean, this is like my home where I'm from. I lived in Anchorage, but mm-hmm. my roots are from here in Dillingham. So I'd always come to be with my dad, but I would always end up being with my grandparents. You know, he would always be commercial fishing, then I'd spend time with my dad, but a lot of times and then my grandma would watch us. So then we were able to... She would watch us and we would help her. Um, put up salmon so she she taught us the traditional ways of how she was taught to put up fish and to put out the net and to do the catching of the fish and the cleaning and all the preparations that lead up to the splitting table to the smokehouse to the freezer and you know and into the jars how we'd can salmon mm-hmm. and salt them in the bucket so we do so many different things with fish and so she she taught us how me and my sisters and that is a gift that doesn't you can never put a price tag on that. 
And that traditional knowledge that she has shared with me and my siblings, we now pass on to our children. And my sister is a grandmother now. And so she's passing that on to her grandkids. And so to see that cycle of life and that traditional knowledge from what we were taught from our grandma and from the generations before is really neat to see that cycle come to life and to live it. I always like to tease my family because I always tell them, like, the old auntie now. You know, I'm like the, the old auntie that lives out the road, and I'm not that old, but my nieces and nephews think that I'm old. And so we were all taught taught how to do fish from our, from our grandmother. And it's a process, and we've, you know, we've told this story many times, and the story just never changes. And... So as we go through processing the salmon, and it was a real honor when you, when you, because there's, you know, you have to go to the net, catch the fish, then you have to clean the fish, and then you have to head and gut, and then you get to the filleting part, and to then making strips, and making eat flatfish, eating fish, but you don't just hop into doing all of that. You have to graduate to each level. So... When you finally make it to the splitting table where you actually get to have your ulak or your knife, and ulak is a traditional knife that we use. And some of my sisters, we I use an ulak and a knife. Some of my sisters just use an ulak, and some of my sisters just use a knife. So it just depends on what you're most comfortable with. And then so when you finally get to actually, like when grandma lets you make to do the fillets is a really big deal. Mm. And if you get to continue making the fillets, then you're really you hit the grade, right? Yeah, because yeah. not and so because our resource is so precious that we don't want to waste anything when we are cutting up the fish, and that you want to have the the most perfect fillet that you could possibly get when you're filleting a salmon and really caring for that fish and learning that cycle of life of the salmon. And then the neat thing that I usually say in all of the interviews that I do is that. When we, when we get to the smoked fish portion of the salmon, that what's in that strip or in your flat fish or whatever fish that you're eating is that nobody's fish is better than the other. But what you're eating is a part of that fish is you're eating a piece of that family's tradition, that family's mm-hmm. traditional mm-hmm. lifestyle of doing something. So everybody's tastes different. Like if you were to smoke fish and I smoke fish, mine's going to be different than yours. Mine's not better than yours. That's just kind of like our family brand of what we were taught. And then so how I look at it and what I like to see is that along our river bends and along our, our watershed of all the families that are out there at fish camps right now doing fish, passing on that traditional knowledge having grandmothers at the table with grandchildren and great-grandchildren is very meaningful knowing that that tradition is being passed. It's okay. (laughs) Well, but this is the connection, right? Yeah. This is the connection. This is the deep roots. Right. This is why it matters, right? Well, because it's so important. Because our, the people that are of this land have been sustained by our natural resources for thousands of years since time immemorial. So when, we're, when we do this, 
It's not like you're going to a grocery store and getting a piece of meat and cooking it. I mean, that could be that could be somebody's culture if that's what they were taught. I mean, we're actually going out fishing, harvesting, preparing. It was a part of survival here. And then so to have that knowledge passed on, it just fills my heart knowing that it's happening right now. Family stories being passed on. Yeah. So that's that's really, really important to me as a tribal leader and then just the positions that I do hold um, here in the Bristol Bay region is making sure that we protect this way of life. A lot of people reference our subsistence way of life. I mean, we are the first people of this land. And so as we become a, a state in the state of Alaska, um, and it wasn't very many years ago, you have these rules and regulations that were put upon our people that weren't there before because we were traditional harvesters of our land. We had our own laws. We had our unwritten, we still have unwritten laws of how to do things on on our lands because our laws are passed down orally from one generation to another generation. We don't have a regulation booklet like we do for the state of Alaska regulations on state land and we don't have a booklet for our federal regulations on federal land. It's knowledge that is passed on of how to make sure that you respect the animals, respect the land that you're on, know that when you are out harvesting that the animals and the species that you are hunting are basically giving their life to you. Mm -hmm. And so you do everything with respect to the animal that is, um, and we only take what we need. That's subsistence, yeah. In my, at least in yeah. my definition of it. Yeah. So it's interesting, though, that it's not officially written down, but maybe that's the point. Maybe it doesn't need to be because that's part of the, the tradition, the family tradition. I think historically it didn't need to be, but that's what we're trying to change, change today. So that it can help bring it back is like a reference point right because our regulations were written on lower 48 sport hunting regulations and we're not sport hunters right so with each regulation that we do that we change to where it's more customary and traditional of our traditional ways of life Mm -hmm. we're doing it one regulation at a time whereas because our our native people weren't at the table when these regulations were given to us, basically, that we now have to go by this law when we have our own law. And the only way you're going to progress is by doing it one at a time. Mm -hmm. So let's bring this back around to the perspective of Pebble Mine. You're defending these deep, very powerful individual family stories that collectively shape this heritage and you've got this nightmarish threat right how long have you been personally been fighting this battle personally since i mean like actively for the last seven years working here at my job at bristol bay native association but as a stakeholder 
I've been, you know, a part of public process or I would go to the meetings and I'd be a part of that. When it was all new, we didn't really know what was going on and learning more about it, how to educate ourselves. But the threat of a mine for over a decade, because it's been over a decade that we've been fighting this mine, that constant threat of pebble mine has taken away from us our way of life and actually enjoying our life here because we always have that constant threat of the mind possibly going in and so we have a lot of health and what is it psychosocial impacts on our people and what is that doing to us now is we're always fighting we're always fighting to make sure that we protect what we do have right now what would happen if that mine was ever permitted and put in? What are the impacts going to be on our people with the mine up there at the head of our waters? And with the new change of this new plan, it's only going to affect the west side of Bristol Bay, which is the side that we live on, and it's not going to affect the east side. So they say, quote, unquote, but this plan isn't going to be a 20-year mine plan. But where I live is that we're on the river system to where if there's any dam tailing failures, that we're going to be the ones impacted by it. And what does that look like? Devastation. The Mount Pauli, the recent mine in Brazil, the people who live there. One of the things in the draft environmental impact statement that was brought to my attention that was just so disheartening was the fact of how Pebble is going to provide jobs for our people. Pebble is not going to provide jobs for our people. If our people get any of the jobs, I don't think it's going to be the high-paying jobs. And they even said that if there was any, you know, any dam tailings failures or any disasters, that it would provide a job economic opportunity. That's pretty galling. Yeah. So that really bothers me. And if you look at the dam tailings failure failures recently in Brazil and how many feet were were villages and town sites covered in mud yeah we're not going to be looking to make money we're going to be looking to make sure that we can find any survivors that are left or that are under all of this sludge and so that would kill a resource that has been if there is any dam tailing failures of that mine would not only kill the resource of our salmon but the whole life cycle that the salmon feeds our people, all the different animals, the vegetation, the habitat of our area, everything is connected here. And the interesting thing, like what we were talking about earlier, was as I was up at one of our lake systems here, up at Snake Lake, and we were sitting up there and you could see all the baby smolt swimming around, and it really hit me of how We always talk about how the rivers and the streams are the blood veins on Mother Earth. They're the blood veins of our life. But then it hit me when I was up there at the lake that the lakes are the wombs of Mother Earth. That's where life begins. With the salmon that are being born here and the life cycle that's going to happen as those smolts swim out into sea and then they come back. And it's also where they die. So life begins in the lakes and life ends in the lakes. But it's a life cycle. Mm -hmm. And 
that really hit me because it impacted me. Because then you think of all the different lakes around around the world, and you think of what life begins there. How does that one fish that comes out of there and the journey that that salmon is going to go on, whether or not that salmon makes it back, but if that salmon was to feed a bear, and then, you know, and everything is connected or to feed a family or the traditional way of life that was taught, how we talked about. It's a beautiful cycle of life. The water here, in, in our, you can see the bottom. The water is very, very clean. And you could see all the plant form life. You could see all the different, you know, you could just study one section of the water and see what all life that is in that one piece of water. And mm -hmm. we would not want a drop of anything con to contaminate that water, to contaminate that life cycle. And that's why we are, we are such warriors and fighting to protect our home, to protect our land. We are stewards of the land. We will protect this land for the future generations to come. And we are happy that we have um, our friends helping us along the way who don't live here mm -hmm. to help get our message out to people, to help get the message out and saying that this is such a valuable resource that needs to be protected. It has sustained our people, like we said, for thousands of years. And we've been in comment period after comment period after comment period with Pebble, with the state of Alaska for our Bristol Bay Area Plan, with different EPA comment periods. Now we just ended the, the NEPA process, draft environmental impact statement. Over the last decade of public comment periods, if you look at the dockets and you look at the registers and you look at our comments, they're all the same. I've been saying the same thing. Yeah. What do we have that has changed that had nothing's changed? So how has this taxed you and how has this taxed the people you represent? Taxed as in how has it impacted me? Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, I'm here. It's July 3rd. I'm here working. When traditionally I should be, you know, spending this time with my family and doing what we need to do. But it's really important to get this message out to people. We need to send a strong message that we're not going away. We will continue to fight. It's impacted us to the point of this is all we do now is to fight this mine. It's hard on some people's relationships. It's hard on families. I'm a single mother that's gone traveling a lot because I'm trying to protect this resource for my children and for my future grandchildren, my nieces and nephews and all of our family, not, not only just my family in particular, but for my Bristol Bay family, mm -hmm. for the families who carrying that message and carrying their voice to these meetings of saying, we do not want this mine here. But the impacts that it has on us as people, as leaders, is very, very hard to be advocates for our people to come against big giants that we're coming up against. But we're not going to go away. Mm. And the thing is, is what's going to happen is that we were trained by our elders who were fighting, you know, mm. before we have some elders that have passed away that died wanting to see the end of this, that we're permanently protected from this mine. But they have paved the path for us that are coming up next or that we're coming up and we are, we are coming up and fighting this. 
so our traditional knowledge that we are also as we're teaching mm-hmm. our traditional way of life to our families we're also teaching a traditional way of fighting it's defensive yeah to protect it and so with each generation is it's only going to get stronger and stronger and yeah. stronger because we're not going away and we will continue to fight it our people are getting educated our people are becoming the scientists. Our people are becoming the biologists. Our people are becoming the, the ones who are going to be making the decisions. Because it's that connection back to having the grandmother allow you to graduate. Yeah. To filleting. That's at stake. Mm-hmm. And you're working to prevent the mine from cutting those veins that yeah. you talked about. Yeah. What would it look like? if you didn't have to devote so much of your energies to this, where you could actually focus on the programs that would help your people to get away from drugs, to get away from alcohol and better education and all of that. Oh, I think it would be beautiful. It would be more beautiful than it is now because our people would be healthy and happy and we wouldn't have to be fighting constantly to protect our waters to protect our people. One thing that also is is that you wouldn't have the division that is going on right now. The whole part of the whole process is the art of war, right? Everybody Mm -hmm. references the art of war, conquer and divide. Mm -hmm. Okay, slowly by slowly, people are being either conquered or divided from their their blood, from their family, Mm -hmm. because of greed and money and promised jobs. Yeah. And then, so you have people that are brothers and sisters that don't even talk to each other anymore. They're on opposite sides of this. Yeah. Aunts and uncles, some mothers and children. That's astounding. It's very sad. Because it's getting away from the that tradition of the family growing together. Yeah. Learning together. I guess the good news out of all of this, of fighting Pebble, is that it's unified everybody. That are that are you know eighty percent of our region is opposed to the mine. It's brought people together that maybe weren't together before, right? So it's brought our region closer together, tighter together. But then with our within our own region, it's also brought us closer together with the commercial fishing industry and also the sport industry. It's an amazing collective of diverse voices. Yeah. So through this, we all see a common sense of urgency to protect this place for all who come here to enjoy this place. We welcome all of those people who want to come here and see the beauty of our area, but we also want to make sure that a message is being told that when you do come here that you respect our land and you respect our people and you respect the place that you're coming to because this is the the last place on the earth with the world's largest wild sockeye salmon run. And it's not only our salmon that make us famous. We also, I mean, we have a multitude of renewable resources that are worth protecting. And we're going to continue to do that here. That was Gayla Hassett, Director of Natural Resources with the Bristol Bay Native Association and Second Chief of the Chukyung Tribal Council, speaking from her office on July 3rd. As she said, it was a day she would typically be spending with family. But sharing this story and expressing why opposing the pebble mine is a matter of cultural survival for her and thousands of others in the Bristol Bay area. 
I want to thank Gala for her time and tireless dedication to her people and for shedding light on the perils of the pebble mine. Stay tuned for the next Fishtails podcast from Bristol Bay, in which I interview Norm Van Vactor, President and CEO of Bristol Bay Economic Development Corporation, a fisherman, boat captain, and eventually manager at a processor in Naknek. He discusses the life decisions that brought him to the forefront of the effort to protect Bristol Bay. Thanks again for tuning in to the One Fish Foundation Fish Tales podcast. I'm Carlos Stoll. <laughs>